I'm Matt Moseson, and today I'm going to be reading Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt, and you may be seated. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see you this morning, and we're so glad that you have decided to join us in worship today. My name is Dave Hahn, and I am one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and gratefully, it is my privilege to be able to open God's Word with and for you this morning. If you have seen the 1994 film, The Shawshank Redemption, you are likely familiar with the story of Andy Dufresne and his fellow prisoners. If you have not seen this movie, but you would like to, you are in luck because it is almost always on cable television. The Shawshank Redemption is a story of a man, again, Andy Dufresne, who is sentenced to two life terms in prison, though he is innocent of the crimes that he is accused of. But the real heart of this movie is about the time that Andy spends in prison and then the relationships that he develops while in prison. For the men inside Shawshank Redemption, this movie is set in the 40s and the 50s. The only connection that they had to the outside world was through the stories that their fellow prisoners, usually new prisoners, would tell them. There was no TV in the prison, there was no newspapers, there were no books, and there was no music. Until Andy got permission from the warden to build a library in the prison and to bring in those forms of art and media into the library for all the inmates to be able to engage with. And then, one day in an act of desperate rebellion, Andy locked himself into a room that had access to the prison's PA system. And he decided to play an Italian opera record for the whole prison to be able to hear. And upon hearing it, you see on the faces of the prisoners that they are slack-jawed. They are stunned at what they are hearing because they had never heard anything quite like it. And Red, played by Morgan Freeman, who narrates the movie, made the following observation about that blissful and arresting moment. He said, I'd like to think that those ladies were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words. And it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was as if some beautiful bird had flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Friends, what Red and his fellow prisoners in Shawshank came to understand through that song, through that moment, is this. Freedom is not defined by the lack of physical restraints. 
Freedom is not defined by the lack of physical restraints. True freedom is lived out in the power of the Spirit, a place where no one can bind you and where beauty and truth come to loosen the tightest of shackles and break the highest of walls. My friends, the gospel message that we have been given is so beautiful and it is so freeing that it can lead men who are physically bound and shackled to sing the praises of our God who gave it. And at the same time, it can lead those who refuse the gospel, though they are physically unbound, to a place of spiritual imprisonment that exceeds the most fortified of maximum security prisons. If you have been around for most of this series in Galatians, you'll have noticed that there are a few reoccurring themes from week to week, one of which is the juxtaposition that Paul makes of spiritual freedom and spiritual slavery. Paul repeatedly pitted those two opposing forces against one another, warning the Galatian believers of the slavery that comes at the hands of the law and from those who teach that righteousness is gained through obedience to it. Paul encouraged them instead to finish as they started, in the freedom of the Spirit, which comes through faith and grace alone, in Christ alone. Just last week, we read, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in verse 13 of today's reading, we see Paul use the word freedom once again. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So in verse 13, Paul is juxtaposing freedom and the flesh, not freedom and the law as he had done to this point. Or at least he is not making that connection explicitly. And I think that there is good reason for what appears to be a new juxtaposition. Paul knew that there is a deep connection between slavery to the law and our flesh. Just as much as he knew that there is a deep connection between freedom and the gospel and our spirit. But before we go any further today, I think it's important to define freedom as scripture defines it, rather than presume that we're all on the same page and unified and correct in our own understanding of the word freedom. So what does the average person in this room or within the sound of my voice mean when they say and think about the word freedom? Well, I think it would be hard to argue with the idea that there has not been a more freedom-loving people than the citizens of the United States of America. Not that we are entirely unique or exclusive in our love of freedom, but freedom is, in a unique sense, the foundation of our nation, 
In that, the first European settlers who came to this land over 500 years ago came in search of freedom above all other things. Freedom from governmental tyranny and the freedom to practice religion as they felt led to do so. And as such, generally speaking, we as a people still value that freedom above most other things. Men and women have died for that freedom. Though I do think that we are beginning to value our rights and our freedoms less and less. Freedom, as the world defines it, my friends, is all about the insatiable satisfaction of self. Isn't it? I want to think what I want. I want to say what I want, go where I want, do what I want, and be who I want. And so long as I am not breaking the law, no one better get in my way or speak contrary to it. But the danger in thinking about and treating freedom that way is that in doing so, we become gods unto ourselves. We become gods unto ourselves and reject the one true God who made us, who gave us our freedoms and unto whom we are accountable. We currently live in a time and a place that I think is reminiscent of what we find among the Israelites as the book of Judges comes to a close. So listen to the very last verse of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. It's fairly famous, fairly familiar. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Listen, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. That's how the writer of Judges ends the book. And that is a a frightening and an ominous declaration about any people and about any culture. And we are shown in Judges 21-25 that there is nothing new under the sun. Doing what was right in his own eyes has been the tendency of mankind from Adam and Eve, the very first man and woman, right up until today. And as such... Because that is true, when the word of God speaks in contradiction to a certain way of speaking or a certain way of behaving, because it is sinful and or evidence of our rebellion against God, freedom-loving people who ultimately want to be God instead of him will see the Bible and God himself as a threat. Because we see freedom as about us, Should anyone or anything speak against something that we want to say, something that we want to do, something that we want to be, we will see it as a threat. And so, my friends, here's the point. What the world generally calls freedom, the Bible calls sin. In that, it is born of an obsession with self and a rejection of of God. And to the degree that mankind is free, 
It is God-given. But like every gift that God gives, we can misuse it, we can abuse it, and we can make it very, very dangerous. Like every gift that God gives, the gift of freedom can become an idol. It can become an idol for us. And in the cruelest of ironies, that freedom, when it becomes an idol, can enslave us. Sinners, of which we all are, are at best free to sin. But at worst, we are incapable of doing anything but. It doesn't matter what sin one might be drawn to or wrestle with, whether it be drunkenness, drug abuse, lust, sexual impurity, greed, worry, idolatry, jealousy, gossip, envy, anger, you name it. Any of us who struggle with sin know, and that is everybody, any of us who struggle with sin know that there is no freedom in our struggle. There's no freedom in our struggle, and there is no freedom in our self-obsession. My friends, freedom, even as the world offers it, has limits and lived outside of God's good design, self-centered freedom can very easily lead to slavery. It's an ironic thing. Jesus, in speaking to the Jewish leaders in John 8, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, listen, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the sun remains forever. So, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaks to the same idea. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then jumping ahead to verse 20 of chapter 6. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. My friends, do you realize that we were and we are not born free? That we were and are born spiritually dead and as slaves to sin. And that even in our spiritual death, sin is our master. And like a slave, we must obey our master's call. 
from day one, sin began calling us to obey, and we gladly did so. And according to verse 20 of Romans 6, as slaves to sin, the only thing that we are free from is the righteousness of God. So that's not great. You don't want to be free from the righteousness of God. And our only reward, according to that same verse, is the shame we feel for the things that we've thought, said, and done. Again, not great. But now, if you heard it, now, in Christ, we have been set free from sin. And we have been made spiritually alive. In Christ. And we have become slaves of God. And his righteousness, led by the Spirit of God. And both now and forever, we are free to obey his call and live righteous lives. Exchanging the guilt and the shame and the death that once defined all of our lives for our new reward of sanctification and eternal life in him. That is an incredible exchange. My friends, do you realize that the ability to turn from sin and to instead live a righteous life in Christ did not exist until Christ came? You had no choice, no choice but to be a slave to sin until Christ came and set you free. And if you have not yet come to know Christ, to love Christ, and to trust him, sin is still your master. You are still a slave to sin. So, friends, our, our big problem is not with the freedom that God has given us, but with our sinful tendency to gratify our flesh with that freedom. rather than to gratify and walk in obedience to the Spirit of God who indwells us. And when we look to the law for our righteousness, rather than to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we show ourselves to be walking in the flesh and as slaves to sin, rather than Spirit-filled sons and daughters whom God has set free in Christ. And the the struggle between slavery and freedom has always plagued God's people. Just a cursory review of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament during the time of Jesus would tell you that. And yet, God has never ceased to faithfully provide and proclaim liberty to those in captivity. The Israelites at the time of Moses, begged God for liberty. They begged him for liberty for 400 years. My friends, our country is barely 250 years old. And for 400 years, the Israelites begged God to be free. Not really understanding that the freedom that God gives is not primarily about us. It's not really about us. I mean, do you... Remember what God said to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus regarding this. He said to Pharaoh, 
let my people go that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may worship me. He did not say, let them go so that they can do whatever their little hearts desire. No. So that they may worship me. So then, freedom, according to Scripture, is the God-given ability and desire to live according to the Spirit. To reject sin's demand on us so that we might live for God and glorify God and love him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. So rejoice, my friends. The law and sin no longer have mastery over you and they no longer have mastery over me. And they can make no accusations against us because we are now in the Spirit, having been purchased and having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our new master. We have a new master. And yet, sin, our old master, will still follow us around, tempting us, shouting orders at us, wanting us to obey as we once did. But we have been set free from sin's power and from sin's rule. And we do not have to listen. And we do not have to obey as we once did. You see, we belong to a new master who, by faith, lives a life of love in and through us. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness in him. My friends, God frees believers from slavery under the law so that they can serve and love God and that they might serve and love one another. That is freedom as God gives it. And that is what Paul is and has been saying throughout this entire letter. So that was just one verse. (laughs) In verse 14, Paul, appealing to the Galatians' desire to be made righteous by the law, says this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So when Jesus was asked by religious leaders what the greatest commandment was, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's five books of the Bible. 600 and some laws. They're all wrapped around those two things. So it's important to understand that God's command to love him and to love one another was not the command that the Judaizers had put upon the Galatians. That's not what the Galatians were being told to do. Though, as we clearly just read, both are the foundation of the very law that they claim to observe. 
Instead, these Judaizers, these false teachers, commanded observation of what essentially were superstitions, rituals, and ceremonies. None of which are an expression of one's love for God or for his neighbor. It's a funny thing, I think. We tend to be, as people, much more bothered when we fail to observe a certain religious ritual or duty than we are bothered by our lack of love for God or our lack of love for one another. We get worked up over our disobedience to a law that was not given to us as Gentiles. And we ignore the heart of the law as God declares it, which is love. My friends, good, good works matter. Good works matter in that they are an extension and an evidence of one's faith, but they are not a prerequisite. Because apart from faith in Christ, the very best and the most sincere good work we offer is insufficient. If it were sufficient, Jesus could have stayed home. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. So do you know that God does not delight in the observance of ceremonies or rituals because he has no need of them? What he delights in is faith expressing itself in love, love for God himself and love for those that he has put around us. That's what delights God's heart. English theologian John Owen said it this way, Christ accepts no obedience to him that does not proceed from our love for him. Christ accepts no obedience to him that does not proceed from our love for him. As we discussed earlier, the flesh is really all about us. And it's all about our satisfaction. It doesn't really care about anyone else. And it doesn't really care about anything else. But by loving and serving others, we conquer our flesh. By loving and serving others, we conquer our flesh. In that, we stop focusing on ourselves and our fleshly desires and we focus instead on he who indwells us by his spirit and on those who have been made in his image. You don't have time to think about yourself when you're loving God and when you're loving others. But if and when we choose to focus on ourselves, and the desires of our flesh, rather than love our neighbors as we already love ourselves, when we choose to live enslaved to the law, rather than by faith in the Spirit, verse 15 of Galatians 5 warns us that, metaphorically, we should expect to be bitten. We should expect for chunks to be taken out of us until we utterly consume one another. And then as the message translates that last part of verse 15, where will your so-called freedom be then? You no longer exist as a community of people. You no longer exist as children of God because you've consumed one another. 
Listen again to verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So in verse 15, Paul was concerned that the church of Galatia would be destroyed if they're fighting over legalism and freedom in the gospel continued. Because freedom which centers on ourselves and our flesh leads to destruction, not reconciliation. It leads to enslavement, not liberty. And it leads to death, not to life. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that though Jesus was and is God, he emptied himself. And he loved and served others unto the point of death on a cross. And now, by his spirit, he lives in those who know and love him by faith. Jesus Christ, who emptied himself and served unto the point of death, lives in you. If you know and love him. If anyone had the right and the freedom to gratify himself or to make his life on earth about him, or to be served rather than to serve, it was Jesus. If anyone had that right, it was him. And yet, there was, is, and will be no one freer than Jesus Christ. But he gave up his rights, and he gave up his freedom in order to love and obey his Father for his glory and for our good. And in so doing, he demonstrated what true freedom looks like. Do you want to know what freedom looks like? Look to the cross. Look to the person of Jesus Christ. No one was freer than him. So my friends, we need to be hold the holiness and the love of Christ expressed perfectly in his cross. And then trust his indwelling spirit to form us into someone who loves God and who loves others with the freedom that his cross provided. Because Disciples Church, we cannot and we will not find freedom in the law which reveals our sin. We won't find freedom in the law. Because all the law does is reveal our sinfulness. And we will certainly not find freedom through engaging in sin, in the desires of our flesh, which ultimately lead to death. And yet, knowing those things, somehow we are continually drawn back to the law. And we are continually drawn back to the good works and to our flesh, hoping to find our freedom and our righteousness there. So there's another poignant scene in the Shawshank Redemption in which an older prisoner named Brooks gets paroled after 50 years or something. And then upon being released, Brooks really struggled to live in the good of his newfound freedom. Leading Red, again played by Morgan Freeman, to make the following observation of prison. I'm telling you, he said, these walls are funny. First, you hate them. Then, you get used to them. If enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. 
So many of us have been taught to believe that obedience to the law and our good works is what leads to salvation. And in so believing, we have been imprisoned. And as such, we may have a hard time living in and believing in the freedom that we have been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like Brooks, we find ourselves longing for the prison walls of the law and of good works because they feel familiar to us, because somehow they feel comfortable to us. And sadly, the very restraints that we once resented can become something that we get used to. And then in time, but for the grace of God, they can develop into something that we depend upon for our salvation. But there's not true freedom in that. And there's no liberty for the captive behind those walls. Disciples Church, the gospel offers liberty from the law for everyone who believes because Christ has already fulfilled it. He offers liberty from sin because Jesus utterly became it. From death because Jesus truly experienced it. And he offers liberty from the wrath of God because Jesus fully took it. So with all that said, let me close with two questions that I I think that we need to be asking ourselves this week. Ask yourself, is whatever I'm saying and doing born of my love for God and or love for my neighbor because that's what God set me free to do? God has set me free to love God and to love my neighbor. Is that why I'm doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying? And then second, is what I'm doing or saying all about me? Because I believe that personal satisfaction is the point of the freedom I've been given. Which one is it? My friends, we have been set free in Christ. Not so that we can do what we want to do, but to do what we were made to do. We've been set free, not so that we can do all that we want to do, but to do what we were made to do. And that is to love and glorify God and to love those that he has put around us. That's why you have been made. So be assured, friends, that the freedoms that we enjoy, the freedoms that God has given us in this life are good and pleasant gifts, but they are not ultimate. They are not ultimate as we often make them be. And they will not satisfy, and even more than that, they will not last. They will not last. Only the freedoms that we have been given in the gospel, freedom from the law and of sin and of death and freedom in the spirit to love God and love others, only those freedoms are eternal. So let's embrace 
the freedom that we have been given as God has given it and reject whatever or whoever tries to enslave us. The truth of the gospel alone sets us free. And as we read earlier, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we are a people who love freedom and all of the good and the comfort it can provide us. But we, we also confess that our understanding and application of freedom is often self-serving. In our sin, we endeavor to take your place and ignore our neighbor for the sake of that same freedom. But in Christ, you have forgiven us and you have promised to transform us and form Christ in us more fully until the day when we are glorified with you. So help us this day and all days ahead to see freedom as the privilege to do what we were made to do much more than it is to do what our flesh wants us to do. And what we were made to do is to know you and love you and glorify you and obey you even as we love our neighbors. And it's only by abiding in your spirit and through living by faith in your son that we are capable of such things. The life that we live in the body, we live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So Father, would you set the spiritual prisoners among us free, even if we are among them? And would you encourage those who are spiritually free but find themselves either physically or emotionally bound? One day, Lord, we know that those that you have chosen before the foundation of the world will know freedom in its truest and fullest sense. But until that day, would you help us to keep our eyes and our affections squarely on our Lord Jesus Christ, the most free, and then to proclaim the freedom found in the gospel to those who are enslaved. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.